Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attack. Hey, what's up? This is Joey Z from Life of Agony. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Dale Lorenzo from Hades, nonfiction, The Cursed, and my horrible solo music. You listen to my boy Victor on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Ron Bumblefoot, fan of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. How you doing? This is Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windorf of Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiske talking, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Stilter, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attack. Tells me I'm wrong. The blue of the water is changing to red. The grass isn't green, just turns into gray. All the changes I've done, I'm here next, I'm gone. My dreams fade into the silence. Episode number 24 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I am your host, Victor. And during this episode, we have a very special interview with Michael Kiska, former lead singer of Halloween, current lead singer of Unisonic. And he has just recently put out a project with Amanda Somerville. So that's actually why we were able to line this interview up. That said, we touch on a bunch of different things regarding all of the bands that I've just mentioned, all of the bands and projects I've just mentioned. Uh, Before going any further, I do want to remind any of you that are listening to this off of Blabbermouth uh, or any other similar website, you can download these episodes or listen to them directly on my website, marsattacksradio.com. Okay. Uh, In any event, the interview itself is broken up into two parts due to the fact of how long the actual interview, or or the interview is fairly long. I spoke to Michael for close to two hours, so I edited that down a bit and split it up into two parts. Uh, What we'll do is get into a little bit of Halloween now. This is one of my all-time favorite songs. The name of this track is Save Us by Halloween, and after that we'll jump right into the interview. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's, it is very, very unfortunate. <laughs> but, uh, and they um, always look like a sausage on pictures then. <laughs> or in videos. That's why I love videos. Uh, they, they, they never turn out the way that you expect? I can't look at myself. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's like, I don't like videos anyway. It's a mm-hmm. kind of weird thing because you're just mining to sometimes a freaking ghetto blaster or something. And you right. have people walking around with cameras and stuff and want you to be very exciting. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. I mean, on stage, you are excited because you do perform. You know, there's something right. you just do music that just has its own kind of flow. But uh, video is just it's just fake, you know. You can right, you, right, right. you can sing with it, and that's what I usually do. Um, but I feel very uncomfortable with videos, I must say. But you have to do them, you know, mm-hmm. occasionally. So so the, from from the very first video that you did, you sort of can't sit there and watch them. It just doesn't uh, feel. I can real watch to you them. Or? I can watch them, but it's um. It's actually more the making process. I, I don't like to watch them these times because I tend to look pretty fat <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> in the younger days, it was a different thing. It was actually quite fun in the early days. I remember, during, especially the Halloween years. Um, that was that, I mean, th- those videos were quite fun because we kind of we were kind of a goofy band. We were always right. we were always having fun, um, and that that was the same thing when we did video shows. We kind of sometimes we drove those video makers nuts. <laughs> Even the last video I did uh, with uh, with Halloween, the, the When the Sinner, mm-hmm. that was great fun. I mean, that was, we were just fooling around. It was a uh, it was it was it was a real pleasure. I mean, that was fun. But it's like now, um, I, I feel just kind of uncomfortable. But it can only it can also be because I have. I, I mean, when we did the the two videos that we did for the duet. Mm-hmm. Before that, I haven't been doing anything in terms of life for almost 17 years. Huh. Um, so that that adds to the feeling uncomfortable business. Gotcha. If you, if you, and I'm pretty sure when when I like I've done a few shows, like actually two real shows um, this year. Mm-hmm. Before we did about three warm up shows, uh, which don't really count. But it's like and now I would probably feel a little bit better. I guess you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of those videos, I, I take it from the way they were set up. They were shot back-to-back, right? What means back-to-back? Uh, at the same time, more or less. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was one day. It was one day. One day from almost, I think, 6 o'clock in the morning to 12 o'clock at night. But it was also, on the other hand, it was also great fun because the people were nice. You know, it's like it was fun mm-hmm. to be with Amanda. Everybody was very nice. I mean, don't get me wrong. Especially the video people were, like, really cool people. I mean, it was uh, it was a very pleasant experience from that sense. But as soon as you got to do the work and the camera is rolling, it kind of uh, – I can see it. I can see it myself that I don't feel comfortable. Right. But, okay. I, but I don't think other people see that. Uh, well, you're always going to be your own worst critic too, and you're going to know the same thing when you're up on stage or when you're recording something. When something doesn't turn out the way that you wanted, yeah. same thing as if you see yourself on camera, you're going to say, you know, ah, oh, what, what was that? It it happens to me with the interviews. You know, I listen back when I'm editing some of these, and I think, geez, you know, it seems like I have a, a stick up my ass or something. You know, yeah, I'm so I know what you mean. <laughs> you hear your own your own voice in a different way too. When yeah. You talk. You sound different to yourself when you hear yourself through your head. Than, right. Than when you hear it recorded. And it all. I mean, it's, I, I know many people. 
I mean, I'm okay with my singing voice because I'm very used to my singing voice. But mm-hmm. when I hear my speaking voice, it's the same like with almost everybody that that talks about this. Is everybody kind of thinks he sounds or she sounds strange hearing the voice, the talking voice recorded. And that's just right. because it sounds different than we hear ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's the same when you when you get filmed. You just you just uh, you just you experience yourself different. You have a different feel of uh, right. But it's not so much that kind of a thing that I'm I'm not I'm not um, an insecure person or something. I think it's a whole situation of faking a performance that that is Mm -hmm. kind of weird. And it it was also kind of the thing that Amanda is a totally different um, sort of performer than I am. I'm I'm not this this this, uh, guy who uh, does these kind of show, you know, these these um, like a Freddie Mercury or something like that. I'm just I'm just kind of myself. And whatever happens naturally on stage will happen, mm-hmm. but that's not on stage, you know. It's just, <laughs> and that that makes it kind of. It's like when we did Silence, for instance. I was just standing there and and, and miming to the song, singing to the song, and then they noticed. I, I told them, I I can't do the stuff that Amanda does. You know, she does this sort of posing business, and it's okay for a girl to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, you, I mean, don't expect me to do stuff like that. It's just not me, you know. <laughs> I, I, right. I would just it's probably break down laughing or something like that. It, it just won't work. So she said, okay, what we, what we do, we just we just put a box there. You sit there and that's it. We just we not even try uh to make you do something that you that you don't feel comfortable with. And that and that kind of worked. I was just sitting there and she was she was performing around me, you know, these kind of things. And then I then I felt mm-hmm. a little better. Well and, and and not to say this in a negative light or not to take anything away from Amanda, you've also been around for a while and you've seen and probably in hindsight lived some quote-unquote cliches so a lot of that stuff too a lot of that posturing and everything else you know is can sometimes be a little you know a little bit of a cliche within the genre of music and everything else so i mean i do i do understand where you're coming from it's also the things like when you i'm 42 now and i'm I'm making music professionally uh since i'm 17 right that's that's when i joined halloween um so it's like it's, it's almost 24 years that I'm doing this. And it's like the older you get, the less uh, you get impressed but mm-hmm. because you've seen so many things. It's like it's like when you're right. young, it's like the younger generations, they still get impressed by certain bands that show up because they haven't heard that stuff before. And I mm-hmm. just immediately know probably about three or five bands who sounded like that or who did that before, even better, mm-hmm. something like that. That's something that comes with the age. You're not that quickly impressed anymore. I still am excited about things, but it's, mm-hmm. diff- it's different things nowadays. It's not – it's like when you're young, you, you, you're a lot more affected by – Things that are more on the surface, like mm-hmm. almost superficial things. Um, you, you get very impressed, for instance, by technically singing vocalists or fast technically playing guitar players, you know, by sounds, right. heavy sounds or, you know, these these type of things impress you as a young person a lot more. Um, but nowadays, all that stuff doesn't impress me at all anymore. And I mean, right. what impresses me is emotions, um, individuality, uh, personal skills, um, spirituality. Something. If someone is able to sing a simple song with an acoustic guitar, for instance, and he moves me with it, 
you know, because the story that he's talking about, the way he sings, he doesn't even have to sing high or anything. I don't give a crap anymore these days. Whatever comes right. across, if there's something emotionally coming across that, that makes me move, get moved inside of myself, that's what impresses me. Feeling, mm-hmm. personality, you know, these, these kind of skills. And not so much technical things, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I had a conversation regarding that, uh, especially with, you know, all the guitar shredders that are out nowadays. Yeah, that's where a good description. These guitar shredders. You know, there's only to a certain extent where me personally, I can, you know, handle listening to a thousand notes a minute, yeah. and then that's the only thing that sounds remotely decent in the song. Yeah. You know, if the rest of the song has nothing to it. You know, um, the solo can be simple. It could follow, yeah. you know, the harmony of the song. Absolutely. And it could absolutely, you know, complete the song and make it an absolute classic. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, you know, when it just becomes, um, you know, there's an album that I reviewed last year where I called it um, the Musical Olympics because it was seeing how many notes they could hit yeah, throughout yeah. the album repetitively. and I think that's know. a very superficial way of understanding music because music is not about a technical uh, um, issues. I mean the technical issue is something that helps. And if you right. know how to play your instrument and all that, the technical stuff is sort of a fundament that, that gives you the possibilities. But art – Mm-hmm. happens somewhere else. It has to do with when you don't have to think about these things. You know, to be, to play, like, like you said, to play a lot of notes in a, in, a, in a short time might impress certain people, certain guitar players maybe, people who learn right. guitar and stuff. But it's like music in generally is a spiritual thing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like you can't touch it. You can't see it. Uh, you can just see the instruments. But it's just something you hear and, and, and the artist, I mean, the artistic truth of 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 music is what happens within the listener. It's like when the, right. when the, when the emotion gets to you and you you get sad or excited or you know you, whatever happens within you when you listen to a song. That's the artistic truth about it. It's the moral truth about it. And music that is just technically well done, but it doesn't have a soul. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't really meet that. It's like it's like you you can you can it's like someone like Elvis Presley for instance just, I, I love Elvis but he was never a songwriter he, he mm-hmm. was never he was never someone who who created music he was a performer he was a singer and there was something right. in his singing that was just very honest he could sing he could sing like the crappiest songs and he recorded a lot of crappy songs in his career <laughs> you know especially during his movie years that he hated very much but he was tied to it. Contract wise, and he had this right. like, Moosey Den, Moosey Den, you know, this is the crappiest stuff. Oh, McDonald had a farm. I mean, he was seeing crap <laughs> like that in those movies. And he, and he, when he did that stuff, they guaranteed him that it wouldn't be on a record, so he did it for the movie. But then in the end, they put it on the record. Um, right. But he had a way, even to sing these crappy songs that you kind of kind of believe it. You know, I mean, I mean, that's really bad. I mean, let's not go that bad. I mean, these two songs are like the worst he ever recorded. But it's like there's other songs that he recorded, and just because it was it was his. Somehow, honesty. I think the secret of Elvis was his beauty. I mean, he was a very good-looking man, of course, but mm-hmm. but in his singing, he was just very pure, very honest. I mean, right. you, could, you could see it right to the end when he was getting very depressed, and you know, his, his marriage was gone. He was lonely in Graceland, and he was taking all these crappy drugs that just make life worse, you know. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and his his organism was shutting down, and you can hear it up to the end. You can you can through his singing, you can see deep into his soul. 
you, you, I can hear it. I can hear right. his sadness. I, I can hear his depression. I can hear it. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the beauty of Elvis, that he was such a dead, honest voice. And I think, and I think that matters in music. I mean, it always mattered to me, uh, but it, it matters uh, totally these days with me. It's like I don't, I don't care. I don't even care about the type of music any, anymore. I mean, I always had a very right. wide understanding of music. I was never just into metal. I was big time into metal when I was a teenager. Um, but at the same time, I was listening to other bands like U2 or Kate Bush or uh, right. Eurythmics, you know, Elvis, the Beatles. I mean, was, I always had a pretty wide range of music. Um, but I don't, I, nowadays, I don't give a rat's ass about what type of music it is, as long as there is something emotionally coming across that 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 the world needs. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. music, definitely music that the world doesn't need, and that's the music that doesn't have a soul, that doesn't have passion, that doesn't have anything. Hu- what's the right word for it? I would say menschlich in German, um, human to say. Okay. So, something that that. If you exp- that's that's something I'm always getting to when I'm when I'm doing interviews these days. Um, uh, you have to express yourself, and when you express yourself in a song, you put something of yourself in it, and that gives. If you do that in a good way, if you're talented to do that, if it works even just on that song, it some, sometimes it doesn't work, you know. Uh, but if it works and you express something in you and you put it in a song, then that's the soul of the song. You, you sort of put part of your soul in it without losing it you know but it's like that's mm-hmm. the best way of describing it because as i said music is not physical so it's like why you do something and how you do it is the whole spirit of a song and that's the secret why a song that john lennon was singing might still give you goosebumps these days while other right. people might, might, might cover these songs and they just don't have that and it just doesn't get across i mean the john lennon could sing like like a very simple rock and roll tune that is actually just from the song, from the technical point of view, very boring. You know, something mm-hmm. you've heard a thousand times. But when he was singing it, it was magic. Right. And and that's what, what matters to me these days. Gotcha. Okay. Um, there was another interesting point that you touched on uh, about how um, a lot of the newer artists that you hear, you already know five or six bands that have done – um, what they're doing previous to them, and it sounds maybe more authentic or, or better. Um, with the albums that you recorded with Halloween, that's actually one, one of the, I wouldn't say problems, but one of the detriment to listening to a lot of Scandinavian and German bands that have come after, mm-hmm. that that time period from the Keepers albums up to Chameleon um, – they're, they sort of created a foundation for so many bands that came after uh, those albums for what you guys did initially with maybe focused more on, if you want to call it power metal or yeah, speed yeah. metal or whatever, yeah, yeah. with the first two Keepers albums. But yeah, then you guys. The first two Keepers albums. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they have actually had a big effect, which is, uh, which is kind of. I mean, I, I, I like them a lot, and I. Uh... I, I I mean I have I would I would do things differently these days of course which is which is normal by getting older but I, but I understand why they had been successful it has to do with what I told you about is so we didn't give a crap about uh, what the right. company wanted to hear we were just doing what we wanted to do uh, we actually there was actually a, a situation where where the I mean you got to keep in mind the 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 record before the keeper one was Walter Jericho. Right, which was kind of a speed metal record. I didn't even like it. 
um, when the, when the band asked me to join, uh, when Marcus asked me to join the band, he gave me that record and his phone number. And when I listened to that record, I didn't call him back <laughs> because I didn't like it. And then and, right. and then and then Michael Wyckoff called me up and told me, "Well, Michael, we want to move on. We want to do more than this, and we need someone like you uh, to do that." And then they started to write material. And as soon as I sang these songs in the rehearsal room, I was totally in love with it. I, it was just magic. It was just—it's something you can't explain. It just happens, you know. It just feels right. Um, it's right. a karma thing or something. Um, and it's—it's it's interesting to see for me these days what the impact of these two records uh, has been, and that there are still generations, young people. I mean, especially now that I have been in touch again with fans, I haven't been in touch for ages with fans. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like we played Sweden Rock. Right in front of thirty thousand people, and we played in Czechian Masters of Rock, right before Accept uh, and and after Dor Dor Peshke. Um, okay, and on the, both of those festivals, we did we did a signing session where fans could line up and then you know you do give a handshake and then tell them to tell you what you what they think and then they show right. the records and one of them. And I was like really moved by that man. I, I it was it was especially when you haven't been doing this for so many years. Um, it was almost like traveling in time. It was, it was mm-hmm. like almost like the same people like in the eighties. They almost looked like it. The fun thing is, it's it was it was a lot of young people. It was okay. there was a girl, a sixteen year old, pretty good looking girl, um, that was bo- that was born after my Halloween days. She, she mm-hmm. wasn't even born when that happened, and, and she just had those keeper records laid down and wanted me to sign them. And she told me how much she loves she loves these records and stuff. And that that was that is really something that I did not expect. Um, uh, that that like like you said, I mean Kai Hansen said one of the things about the the, the Italian uh, power metal scene that it would probably not exist without these records. I can't mm-hmm. tell because I don't follow it very much. I must really say right. I faded it all out for almost 17 years. I was not reading any magazines or anything and was hardly doing any interviews and not doing any live things at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I was not aware of what was going on. Um, and it's it's like you said, it's kind of interesting to see that they had such an impact. Uh, right. And I'm sure you didn't think when you were recording these albums that they were going to have this, you know, everlasting impact on all these different people within the metal community. No, I did not think about – I mean I did not think about that in at all, how long a record would last or anything. But I must tell you when we recorded it, I was totally convinced that it would be successful. Hmm, I had absolutely okay. no doubt about it. Uh, um, it, it's it's one of those things that you that uh, that you you can't really describe. It's it, it has nothing to do with this being positive, you know, because you want it to be successful. I mean, a lot of bands, you know, when they produce a new record, they just want it to be. Of course, they want it to be successful, and then they're kind of, you know, the self-fulfilling prophecy uh, stuff. Right. Uh, some people think if they think positive about an album, it might sell. It wasn't like that at all. <laughs> I was right. totally convinced about it. It was like I was like I just remember when I heard the the, the mix of Keeper One. I was listening to it in in, in an um, apartment of a friend of mine, and there was another friend, and we mm-hmm. were listening to it. And I and I just said something like because to me it was totally natural. You know, when that when that thing, when that thing goes into the charts and we start to play live and stuff, it's going to be so cool. Oh, and he <laughs> said, "Oh, Michael, I wish it. I wish it happens for you. You know, but you never know." I was kind of looking at him with a big question mark over my head. What's wrong with you? You know, don't you hear that? <laughs> Right. Honestly, it's part of being eighteen, seventeen years old. You know, you have this 
beautiful blue-eyed look at things. And when you're excited about it, you have absolutely no doubt the world is going to love it. Right, right, right. And I was not surprised that it sold just – it was just immediately selling a million, which was ten times more than Walls of Jericho. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did not surprise me, honestly. Keeper 2, same situation. Uh, when we did Chameleon and, and the Pink Bubbles, uh, that was when I kind of instinctively knew uh, these records will, will, will have slight problems maybe um, because we were just dysfunctional as a band. But but during the during the, the phase with Kai Hansen, I had absolutely no doubts about anything. I have to mention that because I have not experienced that be- uh, anymore after that. You know, this okay. kind of total uh, security about something, certainty. Is that the right word, certainty? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely is the correct word there. So do you think that uh, with Kai Hansen not being in the mix, that that um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. made the other albums that much different, that he was sort of the catalyst to bring everything together? It, it was it was a couple of things that came together, but that was certainly um, – the, the, the band was not functioning anymore without him, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, in ma- in many ways, I mean, he was he was he was very important as a guitar player. His guitar skills and guitar uh, ways of playing guitar was very important for the band. His songwriting, of course, was very important. But but much more than some most people would guess, his personality hmm. was very important. Uh, he he is. He, I mean, I don't know how he is these days. I mean, I meet him occasionally. He was just here in my apartment a couple of months ago. We just get along very well these days. You know. We like right. each other and stuff, and we have we, we can lead interesting conversations. I don't know how he is nowadays within a band, you know, on tour. Right. But during the time of Halloween, he was really fun to be with. I mean, <laughs> Kai, Kai was always always the kind of person that loved to make nonsense, you know, okay. the, being goofy and stuff. And it's like, and that was kind of taking over the whole band. I and mean, we were young, we were totally. Uh, convinced about it, we did not have any bad experiences, and totally blue-eyed and stuff, so why not having fun and, 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 and having a good time? And we had a great time for the first three, four years. Um, and and um, that when he was not there anymore, it was kind of different. It's like there was, there was Roland there, and the whole chemistry was different. Everybody was kind of... I, I'm pretty sure you, you have experienced that when you, when you, when you meet up with some friends let's say you have like two friends of yours and, right and you meet up you know for whatever watching a movie or listening to music whatever you do whatever you guys do and then suddenly someone else joins the the party so everything changes have you yeah, it changes that? the dynamic yeah. yeah it changes the whole chemistry it, ch- it can change it for even better Mm-hmm. Or, or it can just take out the the, the good spirits, it's, and suddenly things are no fun anymore. And like an hour later, the, the party is over, or whatever it was, you know. Right. And, and that's just even more sensitive within a band. It's like having four or five people that that together have a certain chemistry. Well, you should not dare to destroy it. Um, and that was that was one of the things that I always play, blame Kai for that he kind of ended it um, because he he wanted to leave. I don't think he he really uh, had a bad life there. We all you know he was very respected and we were all treating each other pretty well. I mm-hmm. honestly think that that the, the, the everybody in the band were pretty nice people and okay. and, and, and intelligent enough to to uh, don't do many of those silly fights and stuff and, uh, and and everything was going well and that it's like when he kind of said you know he was unhappy 
which I have my personal explanation about. I don't, I don't think it has much to do with the band. It was rather something within himself that he was kind of projecting into the band. Um, but okay. that's, just, that's just my personal um, looking at these things. Um, but it's like as soon as he was gone, the chemistry wasn't the same anymore. And it actually, for me, it turned out into a nightmare. Gotcha. It was, it was okay. actually no fun anymore because one particular person was creating hell for me. And okay. uh, that is that is one of the things that um, one of the many things that I've learned out of that period um, that chemistry you cannot make it. I, I mm-hmm. have I have tried to make bands, you know, to try to get great. You can you can put like awesome musicians uh, together in a room and give it a band name and they write songs together. It's still not a band, my friend. It's still not right, a, right, right. It's just five people making music. So, so many supergroups come together, you know, as you're saying, plucked from different big bands, and then in the end, the music maybe is stale or very generic or, or downright boring. <laughs> yeah, you need at least two or three people that are together more than they are individually. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that was the case in Halloween. Uh, we, we just we just made us our, our songs better. When I had a song idea, definitely the band made it a better song. Uh, and right. I could when I when I was singing the song when I sing a song of Kai for instance it always has a certain spirit when I when I sing like like time to break free on his on his I think it was his first or second gamma ray I can't really remember I think it was even his first um, it just has a certain vibe when I do it so it's like this, this combination was very nice um, um, and I know how, what it feels like to have a functioning band um, right. And uh, I, I, I know that, that um, not many people know that. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm with other musicians and I'm trying to explain what matters to me, being in a band and, 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 and how I think magic gets created and stuff, most of the time they don't even understand what I'm talking about because they haven't right. experienced that. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and you, you worked with Kai also on one of your solo albums as well. Yeah, the first one with Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden and, and yeah, Kai. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was great fun. That was it had a, had a lot of cool tracks on there. Um, I was just, you know, especially during these years after Halloween, I was just fooling around with things, you know. <laughs> I was not even trying anything specific. I was not like mo- most, most people in my situation would have gotten together with, like a guitar player, even Kai probably. Um, well, let's just say you get yourself a, a, an equal guitar player um, um, who has this sort of kind of this kind of um, guitar ways of playing. And most people in my situation would have tried to recreate keeper sounds, you know, would, right. would have tried to fake Halloween records. And I would always think that that's, this is bullshit. I mean, artistic, mm-hmm. this is so silly. So I, I didn't even try. You know, it's, I was just, you know, the calling, for instance, on that record has a bit right. of a vibe like it, but that's not my fault. That's Adrian. Right, like, right, right. I had, I had a song with, with that kind of verse and stuff, and then he had that chorus idea, and he had this this riff. And we just threw it together, Just and just and that's just the song that came out of it. But I was not intentionally trying to write a heavy rock song or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just what came out of it, and, and, and I just kept on doing that. With with all the records that I've done uh, after that, artistically that's very right to do. Business wise, it's very difficult. I mean, you can, you, 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 I mean, it's like when you know when you make yourself a name with a, with a band like like Halloween, it's very difficult uh, um, to do something like that because you have to you, you you have like people have these shades and blueprints of your sound in their heads. 
Uh, right. And they want you to fit in there. Um, to a certain extent, it's understandable. It's understandable. Um, I understand fans more these days. I used to get very angry. Um, also at fans uh, to a certain extent when they when they said certain things that I feel is artistically totally wrong and put musicians in a position where they can't be themselves anymore. I think that's wrong. But on the other hand, I understand now you can't expect that to be understood by everybody. You know, you right. people are just like that. They like a record and they like a certain phase in your career and they're just disappointed when it doesn't sound like that. Um I think journalists like you, for instance, you have to have a better understanding of musical culture. You guys need to know that a musician has to do honestly what it's right at the time. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't believe in these type of bands that just reproducing uh, the, the most successful records for as long as the money comes in. That's, I mean, that's just business. It hasn't, it's not. I don't think that that's the that's a, that's what the job of musicians is. Um, we all have to make our money. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's not. It shouldn't be the first priority, right? And and I think, uh, as you just said, one of the biggest detriments to being a fan of metal yeah. is that you have so many elitists. So as you just said, you know, uh, well, the only albums that Michael sung on that were metal were the Keepers albums. Everything else is no good, you know. And it yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Pe- people don't understand. You know, I see music a lot more, especially within bands. As um, as almost like a series of relationships and a closure of certain cycles. Yeah. You know, the the band is in a certain frame of mind. They're interacting with each other in a certain way, yeah. and that's really you could feel that if if the songs are honest, you can really feel that yeah. from the music. The same um, thing goes for those last two key, uh, Halloween records that I was part of. Right, Pink bubbles go ape. You know, I mean, the name itself says it all. I mean, that that is really what was going on. It, it was just <laughs> nothing was happening anymore. It was, even though I thought, I, I think Kids of the Century, I still think it's a good song. Yeah. So, same thing goes for some of the tracks of the Chameleon record. I mean, I believe Longing. You know, I think these are these are nice tracks, but it, it, it just the chemistry was just not the same anymore. And as you just said, it just reflects of a record just reflects what the band is at the time. Mm-hmm. Right? And sometimes it also reflects how lazy uh, they are or how much they work. I mean, you can you can make a pretty good record if you really really work hard. Sometimes bands also get kind of lazy, you know, especially when they have like a lot of money on their bangs and um have their houses and their families and they rather play golf or you know, or tennis or whatever. You know, these kind of states. Right. When, when they when they have actually made it, you know, whatever that means. You, usually <laughs> that means having that amount of money. But it's, as I said, it's kind of funny. You know, if 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 I have when I'm financially independent, it actually makes me more brave in terms mm-hmm. of of music. I mean, if you have these this, this money on your bank. That would be especially a reason to don't give a heck about what mm-hmm. what the record company right. wants you to do or whatever. I mean, you, <laughs> you don't need that freaking money, so you can just go for the total art thing. You know, you just – I mean I would do that anyway because I can't do anything else. You know, the, the way I can compromise is only by joining a band, for instance, now. You know, I'm in a band now, and now, of course, things are not going to happen 100% the way I want it. You know, now mm-hmm. I have to compromise. I have to see what they want. You know, how do they do? They like this song of mine. Don't they like it? It's like now it's four people with Unisonic. I'm talking about. You know, it's like four right. people that are working on a record, and you have to make everybody happy to a certain mm-hmm. extent. You know, um, that's different when when you're on your own. 
Um, I can also compromise in a way that I say, okay, that's the song. I can, I can just write a song. That's it. I can just sit down and, and try to write a song. Usually it doesn't work, you know, but if it works and it's a nice melody, I can just give that to the band. And then the band can make a ballad or a rock song or whatever out of it. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's also when you produce a record, you can, you can, you can make it sound a little rougher. You can, you can make it sound a little whatever, poppy or whatever. That's stuff you can work on. But when it comes to the song, to just a basic expression of a song, I cannot force anything. I'm mm-hmm. not able to. I know that pe- there are people and songwriters who can. You can just tell them, well, we need a song like Highway to Hell from ACDC. Can you right. do something like that? And they <laughs> can just sit down. And, and some of them are actually pretty good by doing it. I mean, they can do it in a way that it's kind of convincing. I, I can't. I can't. It just, it's going to be crap. Total crap. <laughs> it just has its own kind of law when it comes to me and making music. It has its own right. Go- it has its own head. That's why it's good for me to be in a band. Because it's like all these years that I have been doing my own stuff, they, they were like very important for shaping as an individual. You know, I, I learned a lot of things. Like when you do everything on your own, you know, I did everything from setting up the microphones to mastering a CD. I did all, everything on my own, and I learned a lot during that time. Mm-hmm. But I actually am happy to to be in a band now that I can benefit from the skills of Dennis Ward, for instance, you know, that I can benefit from the skills of, of, of a guitar player like Mandy Meyer, who is in the band that I can, I, I right. just have to write simple tracks now and I give it to the band and then the band works on it. And like it was a bit in, in, in the Halloween days, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of ready for this now since I have been doing these for so many years on my own, the, I mean, these records, I'm very, very happy to be the man. I really hope that this works out. You know, right. That we well, also artistically get get it together and stuff. Right, right. Well, Unisonic was one of the things that I did want to touch on. Why did you did you decide to put the band together? Did they approach you? Yeah. How did that all come about? Yeah, they they contacted me last year. Um, I I knew Dennis from um, the Plasma Dome uh, project. Um, Okay. Which he thought he did a pretty good job on. I mean, it was meant to be um, some sort of an homage, an 80s AOR. It was just interesting for me because I had never done anything like that. Uh, it was kind of – it sounds totally different now. When you when you would have heard the, the demo tracks before, um, they sounded a lot more AOR, actually, hmm. um, because usually they were, they were sung by the songwriters uh, with these normal sort of – uh, Richie Sambora kind of vo- vocals, you know. Like many guitarists could sort of sound like that. It's, it's, it's okay. kind of funny. Um, <laughs> and it sounded quite different when I sang it because I don't have that specific AOR sounding voice. Um, um, it turned out pretty nice. It was an interesting thing to do. We're not going to sound like that with Unisonic. Um, but I knew Dennis, Dennis, his handwork. Can you say that? Yeah. His sort of production skills and what he's capable of doing, especially in a very short period of time. I mean, it was like very fast productions, and especially looking at that, uh, turned out pretty nice uh, for for the short period of time and little amount of money available. Um, so, so, so I was interest, uh, interested in him anyway. And when they asked me about uh, this thing, I, I kind of felt, yeah, I, I actually want to do that because I was, I was stuck myself artistically. Um, and uh, and working on a solo record, I just I just didn't write anything. I was kind of totally stuck. That was another thing that showed me that it was kind of time for it, you know. But but that's the thing you need to find the right people to do things like that. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't happen before, you know. 
the direction of Unisonic, can you tell us a little bit about what the music is going to more or less sound like? Or? It's not going to sound like Plasma Dome. Okay. Um, we, 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 we will be sounding more less polished, okay. uh, less overproduced. Um, we want to make it – it'll be more – actually, we want to we, – we call ourselves a rock band. And not a okay. metal band because we want to, we don't want to be stuck in that, in that very small frame of what's allowed to be, you know, right. the music. Um, but if you want to do a heavy rock song, and we do, we, we will. And, and in the same way, if you want to do a, a slow song, a power metal song or whatever, we do. Um, so it's, it's going to have a bit of a range, hopefully, uh, mm-hmm. in, 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 in the, in the songs that is uh, pretty colorful. But I, right. I think it's going to be, um, I don't know what the right word for it. Not as polished and, and more brought down to the basics. Sure, more of a raw sound. I wouldn't even say raw, but but okay. uh, not so overproduced. You know, like bring okay. it down to the to the to, to the to the main instruments for rock music somehow. Okay. Yeah. And that that'll be an interesting mix for me to hear. At least hearing your voice with Mandy Mayer, who I've been a, a fan of for so many years. He played in Asia and Crocus God. and Katmandu with yeah. Dave King. So yeah, good guy, very good guy. Especially a very very sweet person. Uh, very big heart. I like that. Okay, cool. Um, getting back a little to the album that you did with Amanda. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> We've been all I, over the place. Here. You wouldn't believe you wouldn't believe how many interviews uh, we've had. It's like uh, where we didn't even talk two lines about this record. Um, it's so so funny, and that is mainly the Halloween history. It's like now that I'm that I'm willing, also willing to talk about it again because right. I'm kind of over the anger, you know, over the being pissed about everything and stuff. I actually enjoy even talking about it these days again. Um, people ask me about this all the time because there's so many people that. Didn't that weren't there in those days, right? Uh, and they just want to know this and well, how does that happen uh, and stuff like that. I had a couple of interviews where it was like ninety-five percent about um, Halloween, <laughs> right? Uh, well, that's why I wanted to prepare questions for you know, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the the different things and and also, you know, obviously the Halloween questions are are going to come up, but you know that's the beauty of doing these uh, podcasts, for example, is that you know, I can actually speak to you about the things. You read so many things over the years, so many yeah. rumors, so many this and that, yeah. and you don't know what's true, what isn't. And actually for people to be able to hear your voice and, yeah. and you know, obviously there's a certain energy when you're talking about it makes uh, these totally different. Years. You actually say something that I was talking about a couple of weeks ago as well uh, about hearing someone saying something mm-hmm. and, and seeing it written in a magazine. It's a whole different story. Um, yeah. Sometimes you say something with an ironic tone. Yeah, and it doesn't come across. <laughs> exactly, and then it sounds almost like whatever, you know. Yeah. I, I, have, uh, I have been had – I mean I am – I have a temper, you know, it's mm-hmm. like I, – and I don't hesitate to express myself. If I'm – I'm not – I don't really give a damn about what people want to hear from me, uh, mm-hmm. not musically and not when it comes to my opinion. If I disagree with something, I just disagree with it. And, I, and right. I, think, I think I should do that. If, if there's anything rock music was good for, it was for being honest, you know. So, mm-hmm. so, so why should I not say how I feel about certain things, you know, just because it might piss some people off? But again, it's like, like, like you said, it's like when I talk to someone, I never had an interview in my whole life 
on a phone or face to face where someone was pissed or someone right. didn't understand me or anything like that. He might have disagreed here and there, mm-hmm. but but these kind of uh, aggressive reactions only came up with uh, things being written down, right? And also well, being filtered or something. Or it's not. Or it's incomplete. For instance, you say something mm-hmm. and then he just uses that and that and he puts it together and that gives a totally different feel about it. It's very yeah. very funny. And also another thing of learning, um, what what a big difference it really makes to to hear the voice of someone, right? Which is exactly what you just said before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like you're saying, you know, if you're being sarcastic about something, you know, you you print that up, and the next morning, ah, he's being a jerk because yeah. you know, exactly. and you know, you know, I have always been racist, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, you right. should say it in a way that it's meant. I've never been a racist, you know. But but you can't you can't write that unless you make right. like, like some a note, you know, ironically speaking, or Michael laughs or something like that. Sometimes they do this just yeah. to, to to make it better understood. Um, but it's it is a whole different thing, and, and it's even more different when you when you talk to someone face to face and you see yeah. his face and you see his eyes and stuff. It's a whole different feel. You say yeah, the no, same it, thing, but it comes across totally different. Right, right, and, and you also don't have the. Um, th- there are also plenty of people that, since they know that they're going to be, you know, editing and taking the bits and pieces that they want out and placing it in a magazine, you know, they. Th- when you're speaking to them in person, it's going to be a completely different situation to them, maybe posturing within their magazine, knowing that they'll be able to say, ah. Uh, I'm going to take the quote that Michael just said. Michael has always been a racist. I'm going to make yeah, that yeah. my uh, my headline, and exactly. this will yeah, gain yeah. me, you know, how many oh, points? Yeah. That, that is actually one of the things, headlines. That, that's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's exactly what you're saying. You have, you have an interview. Maybe of two, It's easy to have a three-hour interview with me. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I have done that because a good interview to me is and I, it's just a good conversation. That's what it is. Right. People who are excited about the same thing talk. That's that's mm-hmm. actually a good interview, um, and it's 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 really easy for me to like, just I, I like talking to people too. I enjoy. Right. Um, I'm interested in people, um, so it's like it happens quite often that it's like a very very long interview, and then the people are very happy in the end, you know, and say mm-hmm. that was a great interview, Michael. Thanks very much and stuff. And I feel the same way, you know. I say thanks for your interest, you know, that kind of thing. And right. then it's just one thing out of like maybe three hours of talk. Where you say a line and that's just and they just pick it and make it right. a line. But on the other hand, I don't really mind. You know, it's like it, <laughs> it's it's also kind of a game. It's, 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 this whole mm-hmm. thing, magazines and and the music scene and stuff. People love gossip to a certain mm-hmm. extent, and, and if it doesn't if it doesn't dis- destroy an individual, if it doesn't, which sometimes it does, and that's when it becomes fascistic, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. It's like when people spread lies about you and, and and people twist what you're saying just to make you look bad because they disagree with you or something like that. That's when fascism begins to me. Uh, when you right. use an instrument to discriminate a person or to, 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 to spread lies about it. That's what I hate about it. But sometimes I must say I'm, um, I find it kind of amusing um, how people react to certain things that you say and stuff. Um, I can, I can I can shoot pretty sh- pretty heavy from the hip sometimes, right? Um, and it's it sometimes it's really funny to see um, how people react to that, especially when it, when it comes to a, a music scene like the metal scene that always wants to be so heavy, you know, and yeah, so serious. Talks, yeah, <laughs> and, and and then they 
they can't even take the smallest bit of criticism, you know, yeah. the, the smallest bit of, well, guys, I totally disagree with you, you know, it's like, I, th- I think that sucks, you know, <laughs> then they start crying <laughs> and hating you and, and like little babies, you know, they, they yeah. just, you took the toy away. It's so funny. There's so many wannabes, <laughs> especially in the metal scene. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, one of the things you just mentioned, you know, having a conversation with someone, that's, when I try putting these episodes together, that's what I try to do. You know, I think so many artists go through, you know, I like to say the uh, Kent Brockman effect, the uh, newscaster from The Simpsons where, you know, uh, yes, uh, where are you going on tour and, you know, speak about that. You know, it's just so well, know, I predetermined guess... and boring that, yeah, you know, absolutely. you could get so much more out of just a, you know, one-to-one conversation where, Things just come out of left field that you weren't expecting, you know? And, and who cares about show? Who cares about um, not authentic people? You know, do you remember what I said earlier about what kicks me these days musically? Right. When, when someone has something to say and there's something authentic coming across, something spur- – it's the same thing in interviews. Mm-hmm. It's, nowadays, I, I, I don't allow anyone to make me put on a show. You know, it's like okay. – it doesn't matter if you – if you have like a hidden camera, I, I, I said that in an interview before too, to make to make that um, to to just to describe this kind of thing. It's the same thing it, to me. This goes together with my my understanding of music too. It's like when you have a hidden camera and it, and you have like you, you're on a TV show or something, and you're supposed to like the camera is supposed to go on in a couple of seconds, and you 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 could have a hidden camera running all the time, and, and mm-hmm. then you can see what happens when the camera goes on and off. You'll not see a change. In my personality at all, if the camera gotcha. goes on or off, I'll be talking to the, the the lady who puts the makeup on in my face the same way uh, um, with camera on or off. It, I just it's one of the things that I learned very early when I, because I started very young, um, and I, I discovered how destructive it is if you let you know success in these kind of things. It's just it's just nonsense in the end it's, right. it's just you know, some people just see your face on a magazine it doesn't make you anything different you know it doesn't it doesn't mean anything it's just some people know your face you know and if you if you make a record you sell a million records uh, um, you're just lucky you know um, right. it doesn't it doesn't make you better than the guy who sells rolls or bread across the street <laughs> you know right. this kind of thing and it, it is very important for your for your spiritual health to understand that as early as you can, you know, just because people put you on a throne and say, "Michael, you're the best," you know, you, you, as soon as you understand, it, it's nice, you know, that they like you. Of course, it's right. nice. I mean, I would lie if, if I if I would lie to you if I would say that I don't care that people when people get excited about something I do, it makes me happy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because I want to affect people with what I'm doing. I mean, what's the whole point of doing it if you if you don't want to affect people artistically somehow? I mean, you want right. to have an effect, but I don't believe it when someone said put you on a throne i mean you're the king or whatever you know i mean elvis died because he couldn't separate that mm-hmm. he didn't understand that it, it's just nonsense in the end um and i understand i understood that very very early maybe it's also one of the reasons why i don't i'm not afraid to express myself verbally in an interview and say that i hate this about the metal scene or whatever you know because i don't i don't try to create an image you know mm-hmm because I think I find it very dangerous when you when you create these two personalities, you have a real you, and then you have a you that you switch on when you're in public. I, I think right. it's, it makes you schizophrenia somehow. It, it'll, 
it'll certainly cause some damage somewhere because you you just got to get sick if you if you put on a show or something like that. I mean, it's like even when you're on stage and it is some kind of a show, of course, people come there to get excited, to hear your music and whatever it is. Even there, even though it is a show, I'm not doing a show. I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm just enjoying it. And, I, and mm-hmm. there are many artists like that, but I don't think, I don't, I don't know if, if many people really think about it. That, that this makes really the big difference again, why some people are cool to look at or cool to watch. Uh, or listen to music, listen to their music or stuff, and others just sort of even get you depressed because there's, you just feel it's not real. Right. It, 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 it's one of the things that that I really can you say consciously, consciously, consciously. Yeah, consciously. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do these days. As soon as I notice something puts me under pressure, you know, whatever it is, may that be fans. Uh, whatever it is, I just reject it. I, I, I don't let it happen. You know, I do something to kind of um, destroy the, the, the pressure, whatever it is, because I don't think it's good for you. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting point. Um, and I don't remember specific names right now, but there was some artist, and I, I want to say Alice Cooper maybe, or, or someone along those lines where – I remember reading that someone else had met him at a supermarket and they didn't know why he wasn't on like he was, you know, on stage or whatever. And it was <laughs> such a big letdown. It's like, come on, you know, it just doesn't make sense. I don't know. To me, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, someone like Alice Cooper, especially, is, I mean, that is just a, a, a figure that he, that he created. And that was in right. the 70s, like like a band like Kiss, for instance. I mean, do you expect them to walk around like that at private or something? That would be ridiculous. I mean, there are some bands that just have made this image or this kind of big rock show. and um, But they, they don't even say anything else as long as they're honest and they say, you know, this is just a, a figure that I created. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, that's okay. Um, if they know what they're doing, I'm not like that. Um, mm-hmm. I couldn't. I couldn't do that. Um, it, it would. It would. It would make me sick. But it's like, as long as you're aware of what you're doing and you don't take that too serious, right. it might not cause any damage. Um, right. But, but I, I also must say that I like like to meet. I have some idols. Maybe idols is the wrong word. Uh, people that I admire. I admire. Musicians okay. that I, that inspired me, bands that I grew up with, uh, that that were, that were very important for me, like Iron Maiden, for instance. Uh, right. I was like always big into Iron Maiden as a teenager, especially those first three, four records with Bruce Dickinson, uh, mm-hmm. very important for me. And it was beautiful to meet these guys and 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 to find out that they're real. You know, they really are right. like that. They 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 also. Yes, they put an Eddie show uh, on stage and something like that, but but the personalities, they're, they're real, you know. They're, mm-hmm. they're, 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 they don't have that um, sickness that, for instance, Christina Aguilera has to a certain extent, or or a um, um, what's her name? Um, uh, unbelievable. Um, Paris Hilton or Lindsay she, she Lohan? She sings. She's very high. Um, she's very. Um, Britney crime. Spears. No, she's 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 she was um she had uh, this is too bad um Lady Gaga. I know her name for ages. I'm getting old, man. I just she she was she influenced so many. Um, Christina Aguilera is actually trying to copy her to a certain extent. Um, Madonna? No, no, no. Singing wise. Singing wise. Uh, 
There's... What time period did she come out? She's pretty out of fashion these days. Um, that's too bad. I, I can't believe that. I, I mean, it's just like it's just gone. Uh, like a Diana Ross or uh, know, she Lisa sings Franklin. Like Houston. She she did for, she did the song I can't live living this without you. She did that one when she started off. I have a vision um, of love. Vision of love. American. She's American. Mariah Carey? Yes. Fuck. Unbelievable. <laughs> How can I not get that name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she she really is sort of, you know, you hear these kind of things. I mean, of course, you got to be careful about stories that people say. But I have actually had some information that is pretty trustworthy. Right. That she does pretty strange things, uh, being a diva. You know, mm-hmm. she eats on, on 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 a plate or something, and then she wants it to get thrown away. Nobody else is supposed to eat on there, and something like that. I mean, wow. really, if you really have <laughs> these sort of disturbance going on after a career, it would have been better not to have one. You know, she she probably would have been healthier in her heart and in her personality without having had that freaking career. You know, uh, yeah, 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 I absolutely. think that's sad. If you if you should just be happy so happy to to be in a position like that to sell millions of records and to be independent financially and to be able to have a, a very luxury life for whatever that's worth i don't need luxury but it's like it, i mean you should only be happy you know and and but if that damages you in a way that you really think that you are a god or or you are larger than life you know that's a good expression expression that the americans use right because that's where the danger is um, they're in the end just human beings, and that's why they freak out, you know, if they take that stuff serious. And Elvis is a perfect example because I think he was a good person. I think mm-hmm. he was a good-hearted person, um, and he was just very sensitive, and that's why it freaked him out. It had to make him sick sooner or later. And Colonel Parker was also kind of totally setting him out. I mean, did you know that he was doing two and sometimes three shows on one day? Yeah. I didn't know three, but I knew that on, you know, at least two of those. I mean, three was probably not very often, but if you look at how much he puts into a show, especially 90, 70, which is my Mm -hmm. favorite period, you know, around the, that, that's the way it is movie that they did when he just got out of the movie contract and he was like slim and on fire and he was doing these great songs and stuff of the sixties and stuff. I mean, can you imagine like two of these show of those shows? I mean, he was, of course he was just able to do that with some kind of drugs. Right, right, right. To have the energy, and that kind of burned him in such a. I mean, if you, if you look at Elvis, ninety seventy, you know this beautiful man, uh, on the peak of his career, with his voice is awesome. He enjoyed, and then seven freaking years later, you look at him, you know, it's, I mean, it's unbelievable how fast you can you can totally be destroyed, right, just by drugs and taking this business serious. Yeah, drugs taking the business serious, and and as you said, bad influences that he had close to him. Yep, yep. Nobody took care of him because everybody wanted to be loved by Elvis, so that so nobody told him the truth, you know, that he's going to kill himself. That's really the reason, and why nobody uh, nobody had the balls to tell him that uh, because he would freak out. I mean, if someone tried, he would he would totally freak out. He, I mean, that's the thing. Right. Alcoholics, they don't want to hear it. I had the mm-hmm. same situation with Ingo. Uh, he was a, he was a pretty bad alcoholic, um, <laughs> and and I just remember that I told him in in the in the Puck Studio in Denmark when we did the the Pink, the Pink Bubbles Go Ape recording, I I just remember that he he had he drank 
10 beers before he even started to play the drums. Huh. Wow. And I just remember that I told him. I said, Ingo, did you notice that you just drank your 10th beer and you haven't even huh. started? I still have it on video where he freaks out. Like, hmm. oh, you know, rock and roll. And I just yeah. told him, Ingo, if you, if you go on like that in two years, you're dead. That was kind of a profit there. So, so you feel that that completely contributed to his demise in the end? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, yeah. He killed himself with drugs. Yeah. Then he was going mentally insane, and then he threw himself in front of a train. Right. And um, and the band was just not able to take care of that. You know, we were just too weak. Right. You were out of the band by that time, though, weren't you? By the time he had uh, committed yeah, yeah, suicide. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were, we were kind of released out of the band at the same month. Um, okay. He, I mean, officially, um, he was actually <laughs> sort of released of the band a year earlier, um, but he didn't know till that time. Um, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, it's interesting how uh, you know some things have become cyclical with the band after you left. I, I truly do feel that, you know, as as we sort of alluded to before, they're one of the bands that have tried to recreate their sound over and over again and just haven't been able to hit, you know, the center of the dartboard again, you know? Different it's band. sort of it's a yeah. band. That's what makes it so sad. I mean honestly, I don't mean bad when I say this. Um they should just do what they want to do. Yeah. They, should, they should not try to be a band that they're not. Mm-hmm. The, the original Halloween band was Kai Hansen, Ingo, Wyckoff, me, Marcus. We created mm-hmm. that sound. And if you have only the bass player and the guitar player left, and, and the rest <laughs> is all new people, it's a different band. Right. So it's kind of I, I wouldn't I would honestly would tell would give them the the hint just go for whatever they want to do and don't give a crap about the past, you know. Right. And I think they sort of did that early on. I think the first two albums, in my opinion, without you, are yeah. sort of more honest. Yeah. Okay. But Maybe once it just didn't succeed as much, so they kind of got insecure or something like that. Right. And just turned back and said, all right, well, let's keep, you know, doing this. And they had a third Keepers album. And, yeah. you know, I sort of found it interesting that, you know, in the press, they went crazy with you when you put the acoustic album out. Yet last year they put out an acoustic album with a lot of the you know similar songs. So, you know, I thought it was a great idea. With I didn't want to do it at first, the acoustic record. Uh, it was another idea from Serafino. Um, when he suggested, my first reaction was, "No, no, no! I don't want to live in the past all the time blah, 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 and stuff like that." Um, and then mm-hmm. like, the next two days, I was kind of thinking, "Well, just because <laughs> the way it ended." You know, with Halloween, doesn't really makes it necessary to reject my own music that I have written in that time. Uh, right. I like the songs. I can still stand for the lyrics, even, even though they were kind of childish because it was my English during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, maybe it's not such a bad idea. First of all, nobody would freaking expect me to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. Um, I didn't know what it would sound like, but as soon as I started to do it, I was kind of surprised how Good, most of the songs work right? Um, as acoustic versions. And when I was finished with it, I must really say nowadays, this record was part of the, a healing process to me to sort of okay. finally make my peace with it um, because I, I was really hurt when, when, they, when they kicked me out and started to talk bullshit about me and stuff like that. I mean, I, I was really hurt. Uh, um, and when you're hurt, 
you, you want to fade the, it out. You just don't want to hear about it. You don't want to see it. And that was going on for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing this record was, was, was the first step of making my peace with it. Um, and I'm pretty cool with it. Um, especially with the, I mean, mainly with the face, uh, Mark Hansen was on the band. That was a very important record for me. And I thought, and I also think it sends out a nice signal. Um, to see, you, you see what, what these songs can also sound like, you know. Right. You don't really need an electric guitar to make a song like "I Believe" create some tension, you know. It, ha- it still has tension. It's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. Uh, I think it's a it's a good record. I, I'm pretty glad yeah. that, that Serafino brought this idea up. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiske talking, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. You think I could be? I don't think we'll have the time So let us get in line Another town, another bed, another thing to go But now I learn to take it cool But I don't want to know My head is empty All the stories that I've known I've told The situation I escaped from Now it looks like gold little going home off of the past in a different way and uh let's check out say we did the first half in the acoustic version let's check out the original the halloween version the electrified version the second half after the solo see what you guys think
there you go, a little going home off of Pink Bubbles Go Ape, an album that originally wasn't released in the States, but later on with all the reissues uh, that came out, it found its way to U.S. shores. I was lucky enough to have my brother send it over to me when it came out in the early 90s. Always loved that album as well. Has some great, great tracks on it. Kids, excuse me, Kids of the Century, um... Your Turn, and a few other great tracks on there. Those two come to mind as long with, uh, or as well as uh, Going Home, excuse me. Um, initially, I forgot to mention as well that the first track was with Amanda Somerville off of the new album that he's done, the the Kiska Somerville. And um, what we'll do is we'll have part two up for you next week, more than likely, unless uh, something strange comes up. And um, what we also want to remind you to do is to send us your top 10 lists of 2010. Uh, There's a whole big write-up on the MarsAttacksRadio.com website regarding this matter, uh, regarding the different categories, which are the top 10 albums, uh, favorite reissue, uh, favorite uh, live or greatest hits album, and the last one is uh, top 5 um, non-hard rock or metal albums to have come out this year. Uh, what we're asking is for people to send all that in before the 17th of December so that um, the last week of the year we can put together an extra special um, Mars Attacks radio episode which details the countdown like we did last year. Hopefully uh, people start to send things in. We've gotten a few sparse uh, responses, you know. Um, some interesting things that have come in. Right now, there's really only one clear-cut number one. Everything else is just a, I would say, a hodgepodge of things that are uh, that have been voted on. Uh, but nothing outside of um, uh, the new High on Fire, the, the last High on Fire release, I should say, is the clear-cut number one at the moment. In any event... Let's wrap things up with a track that Michael discussed. This comes off of his album, Instant Clarity. It's a track that I've always loved. The name of it is The Calling. We'll see you next time right here on Mars Attacks for part two of my interview with Michael Kiska. See you next time.